This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Amen. I'm going to carry on with this message series called Blueprint. And again, this the context of, of what we're talking about. Blueprint is God's unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. He has a blueprint. He has a concept. He has, an, he has a, a, a literal plan that God has literally presented to us through Scripture for us to follow. We talked week one about this idea of the Gospel. Last week we talked about family. We're going to talk about the house of God today. But, um, but the one thing that I, is standing out for me is this Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 concept of building according to the pattern. How many who are not very handy have tried to build something according to the pattern and at one moment gained a little bit of confidence thinking, oh, I got this figured out, namely me with anything from Ikea. And I just think to myself, I know an Allen key. I'm good. I got the Allen key down pat. I have the Allen key. What else do I need? And sometimes you gain a little confidence the more you've bought from Ikea, and the more you build from Ikea, the more you start to see that all the patterns and how they build stuff from Ikea is the same. The problem is, on more than one occasion, I've got overconfidence by page three, only to realize about two hours later that I had to literally break everything apart, take everything back apart because I missed the direction on one little thing, and now the door is opening the wrong way. Or something else hasn't quite fit into place. And so I want you to know today that it doesn't matter where you've come from, and it doesn't matter what your background, um, God has made blueprints so easy to understand (laughs) for people like me who has a hard time getting something sometimes. I look back at my life and I go, God, why in the world did you put up with me for so many years? Having the same questions, the same responses, the same lack of response sometime. And why does he do that? Well, I have news for you. It's because he loves us. (laughs) But he also wants us to understand the significance of his blueprint. First week we talked about the gospel being this incredible message that Jesus brought. The message of an incredible God that, that provided an incredible opportunity for the forgiveness of sins and breakthrough in every aspect of our lives with a simple response of us saying yes to Him. Not earning it, not, not doing something to deserve it, but literally in the grace of God saying yes. And we took that concept and we painted the picture of like a little newborn baby that comes into the world for the first time. But I'm so glad that it didn't just stop with the gospel or it didn't end just with the gospel. The gospel is always there. But when that little newborn baby came in, we talked last week about, well, the first thought that God wants to do, just like a doctor does, is present that little life to mom and dad. I'm so glad that, that the midwives or the nurses or the doctors didn't take our child and ran away with them. That would be strange. That wouldn't be very good. There would be a, you know, Sandra I could just see running down the hallway, chasing after them. Don't you take my child. I can see it. And some of you are like, yeah, I can see it too. Oh, that would be awesome. Did you get it on video? No, we didn't. 
But that would be so incredible if, it was, if that's what happened. But you have to understand, the first thing, moment you're born again, the moment you become a Christian, your newborn baby, as the illustration, you're presented to mom and dad. But guess what happens once the baby goes to mom and dad? Mom and dad takes you home. In other words, you have a house that you're meant to belong in. You're not just meant to belong in, you're meant to believe and to become in. There's a house specifically for you. And I referenced it a couple of times last week in this concept of the local church, but I'm going to dive into it a little bit more today, if that's all right, if I have your permission, because I just really feel like there's, this is something that is so key. It is a principle that is so key, and if I'm being honest with you this morning, it's something that is sorely lacking in our culture today. And there's a wide variety of reasons for that. Some of it, not good. Some of it, I understand. Um, there's a, actually a wide variety of reasons that I understand. But at the end of the day, God has a blueprint. I'm going to read um, a passage of Scripture that we actually read last week, but I'm going to do it in a completely different version today because I believe this version draws some things out that, that are just going to take us to a whole other level of understanding this morning. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible. So if you're new to church or you're new to, to anything re- regarding uh, God, you'll often see verses up on the screen and you'll see the actual book of Ephesians. So when we read, this is the book of Ephesians in the Bible. You'll find it in the Bible. It's chapter 2, verse 19. So if you ever see that on screen, you'll know kind of what that is. And in brackets, it's the actual version that we use. So we're using the Amplified here. What in the world is the Amplified Bible, you ask? Well, it's very simple. It amplifies the original language in such detail that we understand its source meaning. We understand the context. Joyce Meyer, for those who are familiar with it, primarily preaches from the Amplified Bible. That's what she's kind of been famous for. But I want to read this passage of Scripture in this version, and I think it's going to blow you away, because it did me. It says, Therefore you are no longer outsiders... Exiles, migrants, and aliens excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people consecrated and set apart for Himself. And you belong to God's own household. Aren't you grateful that you're a part of a household, both in the natural and in the spiritual? Right? Church is a place to belong. That's God's heart. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you've got to get to know other people in the family. Sometimes you realize that your connections to certain people in the family are stronger with a certain group of people, a certain group of people and not so much with another group of people. That's okay. How many know just like a puzzle piece, you're only connected, your little piece is only connected to about three or four pieces. So that's okay. Well, let's go on. Verse 20, it says, You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself, the chief cornerstone. Not only is church a place to belong, but church is a place to believe. It's talking about the foundation of Scripture, the prophets and the apostles, all the teaching, all of the wealth of information that comes to us through the canon of Scripture. It's a place to believe. And it goes on in verse 21, and it says, In Him, in Christ, the whole structure is joined, bound, welded together harmoniously. 
And it continues to rise, grow and increase into a holy temple in the Lord. A sanctuary dedicated, consecrated, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. I know this by having five children, that when something's dedicated from one of our children or considered sacred from one of our children, the other children cannot touch it. Or World War V happens. Some people are saying, well, we haven't found the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They're in my house. Trust me, they're in my house. Any, any day of the week, you can come over and watch it. Weapons of mass destruction are happening on every level and in every room in our house some days. You know what I'm saying? It's there. Think about this for a second. I want you to take that image of a child who's dedicated something that they have done and it's considered sacred and special to them. Now think about how Jesus sees his church. He is willing to use weapons of mass destruction on people that will harm the church. Not literally, but this is how passionate he is about his bride, the church of the living God. He loves the church. He died for the church. He envisioned the church while he was on the cross. That's what he believes in. As a matter of fact, Matthew, in, in, I believe it's Matthew chapter 16, says, in, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's what he is building. It goes on and it says in verse 22, in him and in fellowship with one another, you yourselves are also being built up into this structure with the rest to form a fixed abode, dwelling place of God, in, by, and through the Spirit. It's not just a place to belong. It's not just a place to believe. But the church is a place to become. I love the description in verse 19 where it talks about us in a local church concept being the very household of God. When I was young, and I, I was trying to think of how many of these books that I actually had, or if I actually just went to the library to rent them out from school or something, I can't remember. But some of you are going to just start laughing right away because you know, I'm going to speak on something that you can relate to if you're my age. I love the Hardy Boys books. Come on now. Okay, all three of us. Come on. We're going to start our own club. It's awesome. It is awesome. I want to be the president, though, because there's just certain things I want to do. But I'm just kidding. But I love the Hardy Boys books because they were all mysteries. Every single book was a mystery. And the Hardy Boys, the whole goal was the Hardy Boys to figure it out. And then by the time you got to the end of that book and you got to the end of the mystery and the mystery was solved, then you're, you're landing on the side, okay, I want the next book. Like, I want to read the next one. Right? It's like, is it Doritos? You can't just have one, right? You know, it's the whole thing. Except for me, it's Ruffles, sour cream, and onion chips, which I got the other night. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting my wife see that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. But I don't know about you. <laughs> what? Ah, she said she found the bag. No, 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 uh-oh. He even tries to tuck it under the other garbage so that I won't find it. 
you know, I told her when we were getting married, you're marrying someone who's very special. We just didn't describe or kind of give context to how special, but she has found out on a daily basis how special I, I am. But how many love a good mystery, right? I know they kind of just redid the, the Murder on the Orient Express movie in the last, I don't know, six months ago or something, and it kind of bring to light again this whole idea of, because I actually remember reading the book, this idea of a mystery and how to figure it out and how to solve it. Well, I want you to see something in the same book, Ephesians chapter 3. So the next chapter, Paul talks about something so cool. Starting at verse 8, it says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints. What a great way to start. He's taking the humble road. I'm not saying that I'm brilliant here, but I'm going to just take a humble road. And I want to explain something to you. It says, Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What's he preaching? The gospel, the good news. The good news that you can have your sins forgiven, that you can have a new life, that you can, the old in you can die, and the new version of you can be uh, brought uh, to life. And that's what God wants to do for you this morning. I love the Amplified. It actually describes the unsearchable riches of Christ like this. It says, the unending, boundless, fathomless, incalculable, and exhaustless riches of Christ. You get in a picture of how much love Christ has in his heart for humanity. But catch this, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And I want you to see something here. He's going to give away something that happens from the beginning of time. He says, I want to give away the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So Paul is literally saying, I'm about to reveal a mystery that has been hidden in God from the beginning of time. That is now being revealed in this moment. Do you want to know what it is? Right. Verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What are they talking about? That the church would be the blueprint, the tool, the instrument that God uses to push back the forces of darkness on the earth and is a light of the wisdom of God wherever it goes. The Old Testament used the nation of Israel and he used at one time prophets and one time judges, one time different scenarios or instruments that he used to declare the wisdom of God. But the entire purpose of God's heart from the very beginning was that every believer, every follower of Christ would connect to a community of believers and that community of believers would literally be an anchor to everything that goes wrong in the world. And bring light. Bring wisdom. Bring truth. Bring breakthrough. Bring freedom. Bring liberty. Which is proof, once again, why families have been the number one source of attack from the enemy for the last decades, which we talked about last week. But it's also proof why one of the greatest struggles in Christianity today are people's belief or lack of belief in this thing called the local church. How do I know? I've lost count how many times in the last 10 years I've had conversations with people who are struggling 
with the local church. But I want you to see today, the local church is God's heart. I'm going to drop a bomb, and it's not to offend, but it's to give the context of what we're talking about. Are you ready? The same arguments that people use to live common law and not get married is the same arguments that people live and and speak from regarding the church and not being connected to a local church. It's the same philosophy. It's the same ideology. I hear it and I go, wow, it sounds like common law. Okay, same excuse a common law person would make. And I'm not here to, to, if you're in that situation and, and you've never kind of seen that before, I want to say, God's grace, but God has a better way. God has a better way. God's desire is marriage. God's desire is local church. God's desire is healthy families. God's desire is a house where his presence dwells. Amen? All right, that's good. All right, where are we here? Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 6 in this very chapter literally declares, we are God's house. We're God's house. So look at how the Bible describes the house of God. I love this. I love the pictures of how the Bible describes the house of God. And one of these points I'm actually stealing from Bill Johnson, so I'm going to just tell you right away, I'm stealing it from Bill Johnson. I called him up this morning and said, hey, Bill. Papa Bill, can I borrow something from you know what I'm He says, absolutely, Cameron. You're my best friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, I feel so loved, Brother Bill. It's awesome. So kidding, I didn't call him. <laughs> but I want to give credit where credit is due. So one of these points I'm going to talk about is from Bill, but it's just so phenomenal. But I'm going to start with a verse in the New Testament that is one of the core verses that we would land on, that I would personally land on, that our fellowship that we're a part of, Ministers Fellowship International, would land on when it comes to belief and support for the local church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul is talking to a young man named Timothy who just so happens to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. So this is the Ephesians church pastor. He says, but if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. It is the pillar and the ground of truth. One of the things that often breaks my heart um, is how many people who are not connected to a local church live with a subjective theology. Where, well, God told me. Well, that doesn't line up with the Bible. Well, God told me, though. You can't tell me what God didn't tell me or what he told me. And I'm like, I don't have to tell you what he told you or didn't tell you, but I can tell you what he already said. Why does it break my heart? Does it break my heart because they're off doing their own thing? Ultimately, actually, no. What breaks my heart is the deception. You know what I've come to the realization with in my own life? I don't know when I'm deceived. Because I'm deceived. Aren't you glad you were sitting down? Joel, weren't you glad you were sitting down for that moment? Like, mind blown. The problem with deception is you don't ever know when you are deceived. That's the problem. 
And what often happens with people who struggle with the concept of the local church is they gather to people who are in the same place that they are, subjectively listening to the voice of the Spirit of God the same way, and literally, if I can be honest, prophylying over each other constantly about things that are not scripturally supported or foundationally strengthened by the Word of God. So what it does is it creates this sense of momentum for sure. It creates a sense of excitement. And then the only conclusion they can come to is, well, this is more exciting than that local church. And my response is, the conference God, the podcast God, the, the heebie-jeebie God in your living room when you're doing something is the same guy at the local church. So here's the conclusion that I've come through the last number of years of my life. Because if I'm being honest, I have struggled with local church. I've had moments where I said, enough's enough. I'm never stepping foot in a church ever again in my life, ever. And here's what I've come to the conclusion of. I would rather spend my life building what God is building and making this church, this concept of what God is building, the most incredible, amazing, holy, glorious church that he envisioned when he was on the cross than to come up with an alternative and hope God blesses it. Are we good? All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Here's where I'm stealing Bill. Genesis 28. This is phenomenal. Story of Jacob. Uh, he has a dream. He's literally laying down. He grabs a stone and uses a stone as a pillow. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm sleeping too good. If I have a pillow, that's a stone. But somehow it became miraculous for Jacob. I don't know how that works. But it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place and fell to sleep. Okay, then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. So it didn't come from heaven. It started on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So you have to understand here, that the angels in this particular moment were flowing between two different realms, heaven and earth, earth to heaven, heaven to earth. And they were flowing back and forth between two realms. So what exactly was Jacob dreaming about in this moment? He goes on in verse 16 and he says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So when he saw the house of God, the first thought he had was it wasn't just a house, but it was a gate. I want you to, I want you to catch this this morning, because this is huge. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he'd put at his head and he'd set it up as a pillar. He set up the thing that was the pillow as a pillar, and what did it form? The very first foundation stone for the house. Then he poured oil on top of it. What is the church, the local church, meant to be? The local church is meant to be a gateway between two realms. Every, can you just imagine for a second here this morning? Can you imagine that if every single impact church event was a portal or a gateway between heaven and earth, Every single prayer meeting, 
every small group, every ministry, every youth night, every young adult night, every service, every kids class, every outreach, every picnic, every, we could keep going, where the local church was a gateway with angelic visitation, God's presence, ascending, descending, ascending, descending, ascending, descending. That's the heart of God. Pouring oil over it was simply a sign of surrender, worship, and a call for the Holy Spirit to come and move. Could you imagine if this house had those moments every single time? I do. Verse 19, and it says, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Interestingly enough, it means the house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God be with me and keep me in this way, then I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I can come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. It's interesting here, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not going to jump on the issue of tithing, but it's very interesting that in the very first mention of the house of God in Scripture, the response of Jacob's life was to give back to God and to support the house. I think that's ironic. David understood it. There's a lot of verses. I'm just going to have James throw them on the screen behind me. But in First Chronicles 29, you can take a quick picture of that. He talks about the house is not for man, but for the Lord. He talks about for the house of my God, I prepared with all my might. Verse 3 says, I've set my affection on the house of God. He goes on in Psalm 84, which to me is one of the best chapters in the entire Bible on this concept of the house of God. And he literally says in verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How lovely is it? Verse 2, it says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. He's talking about the house of God. Goes on in verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. There's a sense of excitement and, and, and joy in what we're doing when we celebrate what God has created as His blueprint in this day. Verse 10, and I love how he ends. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So what is God's plan? What is God's desire for your life when it comes to this idea of you're born again, you're a little baby, you're given to mom and dad, you belong to a house, you're taken home to a house. What's the goal? What's God's heart regarding this concept called the house of God, which is the local church? His heart is found in Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. The whole concept of what God wants you to be is planted. Why is planted is significant. I'm not just talking about, you know, even the natural kind of picture of it, but I want you to understand one of the concepts or ideas that is literally captured with this word planted is the idea of rooted, the idea of attached. How many know that if you pull a flower or pull a weed, which some of us have many on our front lawn, if we were to pull a weed from the ground, how many know that it's only a matter of time before that weed dies? Why? Because it was severed from its God-ordained attachment. Right? So, planted is speaking about rooted. It's speaking about where your roots are. It's speaking about attachment. God's heart is never that an individual comes to Christ and is not given to a family or is not given to a house. It's not his heart. As a matter of fact, it is the complete opposite of his heart. 
He's a family God. That's who He is. But you have to understand that the role and the goal of the enemy from the very first couple of chapters in the Bible was to get people to live a detached life. It's the entire goal of the enemy. He gives it away in the first couple of chapters of the Bible. How many know that whenever something's mentioned for the first time, it's significant? Right? So it started in the book of Genesis. Think about this. First, the enemy came and attacked Adam and Eve's attachment to God. Right? Number two, then he attacked Adam's relationship to Eve. Mm-hmm. Then number three, he went after his kids, Cain and Abel. And what did he do? He created a detached living person for the first time, Cain. It actually says about Cain that in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 12, that he was a restless wanderer on the earth. Verse 16 says this, and I think I have it there, James. It says, so Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod. What does Nod mean? A place of wandering. That's what it means. But did you catch the first part? He left the presence of God. Yes, Jesus, is that you? Sorry. Oh, you wanted me to say that. Okay, I can say that. That's a good point. All right. That's awesome. But he left the place of God. Coming back to David, who loves the house of God, look what happened to him. For those that have been around church any length of time, know his story. Know that he had a big mistake he made one day. There was other mistakes he made, but there was a big whammy. He committed adultery with a woman by Bathsheba, but most of us don't catch the very beginning of the story. We just read the story and we go, oh, that's bad. But the very beginning of the story, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it literally says, at the time when the kings went out to battle, David stayed home. What was the problem with David? He was in the wrong place. How many of us find ourselves in the wrong place when it comes to our theology about church? And I'm not saying that you're going to make big mistakes. And I've heard, can I be honest for a second? Because we've always been from day one very real and authentic. I know some churches out there that will demand things of you, take your attendance every single week, or, or demand, 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 demand stuff of you that is absolutely insane and controlling. And I'm not talking about that. I could not care less who shows up. Sandra and I have said from day one, we're going to come and our kids are going to be here and if anyone else wants to party with us, that's awesome. So we're going to party and we're just inviting you to the party. So that's, that's what we feel. But you have to understand there is a principle, a blueprint principle of the local church that is huge. David was not in the place he should have been. As a result, he found in sin. Satan's goal, to separate and disconnect you. God's goal, to build you up and to connect you. Build and connect. Satan's goal, separate and disconnect. It's the same thing that's happened from the beginning of time. God's idea is to attach you, connect you, to make you a part of a family, to make you part of the house. So why don't people get planted? Why does that become an issue? Where I... There's multiple reasons, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I want to mention two that I think are significant, and they're the two that I keep kind of running across. So they're the ones that are the most consistent. I could probably say there's probably 20, easily, or more, but these are the two that keep coming back to me personally, not just in Kingston, but literally my entire life. These are the two that keep coming back. Reason number one 
is people's lack of understanding between the universal church and the local church. That there's a disconnect between their understanding of the universal church and the, and the local church. And so I'm going to explain what the two are just so you understand where we're coming from. The universal church consists of the company of believers in Christ in all ages, past, present, and future. Anyone that's ever made a decision to come to Christ are part of what we call the universal church. In other words, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We can, if we can use a modern day term, it's like, well, when we were born, and we quite obviously were not born dogs or cats or birds, we we're all born into the human race. So we're a part of humanity. Right? That's what we are. We're a part of humanity. But aren't you grateful that you just didn't get born and thrown into humanity and allowed to figure it all out on your own? That you were given to a family, you're given to parents and brothers and sisters to be careful in a house called a local church. Okay? So, we also need to understand that universal church concept is important because then we also understand that it's not about us. That there's something bigger that we're a part of. How many are grateful for what's going on in Haiti, through Haiti Arise? But you know what? We're a part of their journey. Why? First of all, because we're connected to their ministry, but most importantly, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So they're our family. Now, we're not going to discipline them over there. We're not going to celebrate with them with certain things over there because we're not there, right? But God's heart is that we understand we're bigger than, that we're part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, you look at it like that, we have a really, really, really large extended family. All right? But the local church is the other concept mentioned in Scripture. And I want you to understand that there's 114 times in the Bible that the word church is mentioned or the concept of church is mentioned. 96 times the Bible is very clear in its description of that word under, uh, referencing the local church, not the universal church. 96 out of 114 times. And here's my response to that. We need to place our emphasis where God places His emphasis. Not here to go on a tangent, but one of the things that's really bothering me in our world today is how 2.7% of the world's population is controlling everything. How many would ever make a, a decision based on 2.7% support. So we have to be careful that we don't put all of our energy and effort into the universal church concept when God very clearly says 96 out of 114 times, this is where my emphasis is. Amen? We good? Coming in for a landing. It's where our ministry functions. It's where our... Our concept of belonging to becoming functions. It's also our place of protection. It's also a place of empowerment. It's a place where God moves. It's a place where God is working in the concept of family. I love what Stephen Furtick says. He says this, success is determined by what you build. Significance is determined by what you build on. I love that. So what are we building on? Are we building on our own concepts of what church are? Are we building on what Jesus said about the church? There's a blueprint, there's a picture, there's there's a design done by the master architect, and he's saying, here it is, what are you going to do with it? 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Bill Hybel said this years ago, Brian Houston has repeated this so many times, Brian Houston's the pastor of Hillsong, 
and he basically has said this so many times in the last five years, I've lost count. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. And I say a big amen to that one. A big amen to that one. How many know that if you're in a natural family and you're giving the best of who you are to everyone else but your family, how many know that's not good? If you're giving your spouse or your kids the leftovers, it's not good. How many know we all have moments where we fall into traps, work's busy, we get that. But God wants us to give our best to that which he is emphasizing. Amen? The second is this, and I'm going to come into a landing with this is what I'm calling a hospital mindset versus a house mindset. So when you are born in, most of us have had our kids in a hospital. Some of us have had home births. But let's just for the sake of my illustration, let's say that we all have babies in a hospital, okay? So one of the things that I've constantly seen come up in, in this, this struggle with local church is when people want the house to be a hospital, rather than a house. And I'm going to explain what I mean if you follow along for me. Think about what a hospital is all about. Who's the focal point in the hospital? You are. You're provided everything, right? You're given the medication. You're cared for. There's a nurse caring for you. There's a doctor caring for you. All the attention when people come to visit is on you, right? Which is awesome because that's what the hospital is meant to be. But there's too many people that can't make the translation to a house mindset and they're stuck in a hospital mindset. They're stuck wondering, why isn't people falling head over heels for me right now? Why aren't they putting their focus and attention on me? And here's what I've learned. Hospital, the focus is on you. House, the focus is on God. Because there's a core value and there's core principles that literally help run that house. I don't know about you as parents, we all have something that really irritates us about our children. But you know what we do not accept and we get angry with is lying. I cannot stand a lie. I can deal with other things. Lying drives me crazy. Why? Because it's a direct affront to God's truthfulness. It's manipulative. It's, it's the very heart of Satan because the Bible calls him the father of lies. So there's certain values that become the focal point in a house. God's values become the focal point in a house. So if you come to a house with the idea of, I want to be offered what a hospital offers, you're only going to be disappointed. Now, can I be honest with you this morning and say, this is where we get in trouble. This is where this church gets in trouble all the time. This is a constant 10-year problem. And why is it that way? And I'm not saying from your perspective. I'm saying actually from our perspective, if I can be honest. Part of our struggle is that we can do all of the stuff that the hospital can do. And at times, we, put, we, we celebrate the care and the love to such a degree that we actually become a hospital-minded church. But the hospital was meant for specialization. One of the reasons why hospitals are inundated right now and are backed up is because there's too many people going to the ER because they have a, sn- a sniffle. Right? Right? So what it's doing is backing up care. The hospital, we need the hospital. It needs to be for specialized care when people are going through something. But how many know that there's a lot of care for wounds and hurts in the house that allows someone to never have to go to the hospital? Right? Okay. Are we tracking? Okay. The house was designed 
to be centered around the cornerstone of the building, which is Jesus. It's the entire goal. So the head, which the Bible talks about as being Jesus, is meant to give life to the body. So the source is from Christ. Can I say it like this? The hospital is good, but it only focuses on one piece of the pie. Healing. The house focuses on the whole pie. And I don't know about you, but if I'm given the choice between one piece of lemon meringue or the entire pie, I'm sure you can tell by my size and shape that I love the whole pie. Right? Because it's awesome. Think about the rooms in a house. The foyer is meant to be a place where you feel like this can be your house. This is a place where you can belong. It's meant to be inviting. It's meant to be warm. It's meant to be uh, uh, just something about it. But the living room is a place to share dreams and to share hopes and to share stories and to share about your life and to sit down and talk through different things with people. The dining room is a place to be fed and a place to be built up. The kitchen is a place to serve, right? The laundry room is a place of cleansing. And there's sometimes other little, little tiny rooms in the house that's also a place of cleansing, but we're not going to talk about that. All right, all right, thank you, Jesus. The den is a place to study and to grow, and the bedroom is a place of rest and refreshing. The house is meant to care for every need. The hospital only takes care of one. Why do people struggle with this concept? Because there's too many people that will come to church with the hope that you become or we become their hospital. And if we create that mindset, then what we do is we create disappointment. And what I want to say to you this morning, God has a purpose for the hospital. But the majority of your life is lived in your house. If the majority of your life is lived in a hospital, that's not good. Because we start to think the attention is on me. And the moment the attention's not on me, we lose sight of the greater grand picture and blueprint called the house, the family. And everyone's important. I've got five kids, and I've just come to realize that as much as I would love to dote on every child, it's impossible with a big family. But you know what I love about our house? I turn around, and Josiah and Hannah are helping Gracie and Abby with something. Didn't have to come from us. Caleb, for some reason, has this incredible gift to put Abigail to sleep. I have no idea how he does it. But when in doubt, call Caleb because he has a gift. For those coming to the pastor's potluck, I want to announce to you this morning that Grace and Abby have put the salad together and spent 30 minutes this morning before they came to church doing the salad for mommy before we came. Why? Because we believe that everyone has a place in the house and that you're never too young to do something significant in the house. God loves the house. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I want you to do something absolutely insane and embarrassing and crazy. And, and, and you think to yourself, is this the way we're going to end a service? Yes, it is, because it's something that I came up with, and I'm the pastor of the church. I want you to stand. And I want you to click your heels three times. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. You can gaze off at all of these other things and think, oh, that, you know, 
everything is always greener on the other side. And you know what I've come to realize in my own journey? The grass is never greener on the other side. The grass is only green where you water it. Make a choice today to water the house. Make a choice to not just pick one room in the house, but to do everything that's in that house. Rest, refresh, study, teach, serve, give, eat, share, dream every last aspect of what the house is meant to represent. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.